and welcome to episode 20 of Lost the Plot, the Tinted Edges monthly podcast all about books. I'm your host, Ang Harrod, and to celebrate a new year of reading, we're being joined today by my heart friend, Annie, to talk about book lists. I also have a big announcement. Lost the Plot has a brand new logo, which was designed by the wonderful Louise Brooks. You can check out her website in the show notes and can consider the new logo launched. I'm very happy to have a real logo now instead of the picture of me with my bunny, though I do love my bunny. Anyway, as always, plenty of book news, some good and some not so good updates about my street library, and a rundown on how my family's first Yolabaka flood went. This one is going to be a pretty huge episode, however, I would just like to put in a little content warning in this episode. One of the book awards I'm going to be talking about is 2017's bad sex awards. I will let you know when I'm about to read these out, but be warned if it's something you don't want to be heard. Last episode, we talked about giving books, and something I was really excited about was sponsoring my family's first Yolabaka Flood. Yolabaka Flood, as you might remember, is the annual Icelandic event where people exchange books on Christmas Eve and spend the night reading them and eating chocolate. We had a big turnout for my family's first Yolabaka flood, hardly surprising because I have a big family, and I had a great time choosing the right books for everyone. Some were books I'd received for reviews, some were books I picked up, and some were books I even won. I wrapped them all up and topped them off with a spiffy bottle of Christmas-flavored gin. I did end up forgetting the chocolate, though. Anyway, it was a great success, everyone was really happy with their books, and even though I hadn't gotten myself a book as the official sponsor of the inaugural Ludwig Yolabaka Flood, my wonderful partner Sam surprised me with a beautiful Penguin Clothbound Classics edition of The Jungle Books, so I had my own book to unwrap and enjoy as well. I would definitely recommend this event, it was just lovely, and I will be back with a book-matching vengeance next year. I also just wanted to highlight a couple of bookish Christmas presents I got this year because some of them were absolutely gorgeous. One highlight was the book lamp my partner Sam bought me, which is one of those things you see recommended to you on Facebook ads, but something that you never really think of buying for yourself. Well, I got one and it is just as delightful and impractical as it looks. It's made of this kind of interwoven wood on the outside. And as soon as you open the book, the pages inside glow magically. I'm not sure how I will practically apply this lamp further than just opening and shutting it and grinning wildly. Maybe it might be a good reading lamp for camping or a nice addition to the things on my display bookshelf. Who knows? Either way, it's gorgeous and I love it. I also got a really cool diary called a novel journal, where instead of being a standard lined notebook, the lines are actually all miniature lines from a novel. My journal is made up of lines from Anne of Green Gables, a book that I have never actually read. It's really, really pretty, and I am loath to actually write in it, but maybe I'll do a reading, writing, joint project with it. It really does have everything though. Novel, notebook, and tinted edges, all in one. I also got a really nice present from Santa. Um, Yes, I am 29, and yes, Santa does still bring me presents. Um, So it was a very fancy set of metal bookmarks. They are presented in this absolutely stunning box that has a magnetic flap to keep it closed. They are so nice, I'm actually a bit worried about using them and losing them. I'll have to find a suitably fancy book to use them with. 
I was also very lucky to get lots of great books for Christmas as well. So I'll be trying to get through them on my review blog, Tinted Edges, as soon as possible. So if you got any great bookish presents, I'd love to hear about them. You can leave a comment on SoundCloud, comment on the Tinted Edges website, or get in touch via the Tinted Edges Facebook page. I was also really excited in December to get a mention for the November roundup of the Australian Women Writers Challenge. I was one of the top reviewers for November with five reviews of classics and literary books by Australian women. Every month, the website publishes statistics on different genres, and I managed to get a few extras in November because I was a new member, and they let the new members backdate. Finally, my very amazing time with the ACT Lit Bloggers of the Future program came to a close. It was a great program run in collaboration between the National Library of Australia and the ACT Writers' Centre, and I thoroughly enjoyed all of the events that I got to go to and all the blogging I did about them. My latest blog on the Michael Lunig event is up on the website together with all my other blogs. I'd also like to highlight my favourite part of the program, which was getting mentored by the lovely Sue, who is behind the fantastic camera book blog Whispering Gums. If you're listening, thanks so much, Sue. I'm going to miss our secret coffees. The biggest theme for this month's Books for the World segment is undoubtedly street libraries. My partner and I organized a street library for my parents and a street library for his parents, bringing our total fleet of street libraries to three. We had a great time picking out what we were going to use to make them from the green shed in Canberra. One was an old bedside table with this sort of wicker panel at the front and a little drawer at the top where you can put the guest book. And we installed it just before Christmas and apparently it already has lots of interest from the neighbours and books being donated, which is just fantastic. And then the second one, we think it was an old bar cabinet and it is this beautiful dark wood with double doors. And then when you open it, each door has secret shelves on it. This one we had a bit more difficulty with because we accidentally put it up on public land and so unfortunately it had to be moved. But now it just looks brilliant and I'm still waiting for the official Street Library Australia panels to arrive so I can register them properly. But we had a little family launch for this one with a ribbon and some champagne which was just lovely. And you can see photos of the new Street Libraries in the show notes. However, while we were away happily installing a new Street Library down in Victoria, our own street library in Canberra was not doing so well. When we arrived back in Canberra on New Year's Day, it quickly became clear that something was not right. My partner went to go check the street library while I was carrying some stuff out of the car. And I looked down and I saw a scrap of paper on the lawn that looked suspiciously like a page out of a book. I looked around and there were torn book pages everywhere. Just then my partner said that our guest book was gone. And after looking inside our library, thankfully otherwise unharmed, and talking to our neighbours, it seems like sometime around the 27th of December, somebody came to our street library, took some books out of it, and tore them completely to pieces. There were pages and pages all over our lawn, our neighbour's lawn, in the bushes, in trees. One of the books that had fallen victim was a biography of Manning Clark, which had also been a book crossing book that someone had set free in our street library some time ago. So I had to very sadly log into the book crossing website to give my unfortunate update on the status of that book. Look, I have no idea who was responsible, and unless they had a personal vendetta against Manning Clark, I have no idea what would make someone so angry as to tear up books. 
Anyway, it did look like some neighbours had done their best to clean up and other people had donated their own books to try and fill the lost spaces. Lots of the larger fiction books were gone and now there seemed to be quite a few more children's books in there instead. The Little Free Library website published an article a while back about vandalised street libraries, which was actually pretty encouraging. Um, it seems like vandalism for street libraries is pretty uncommon, and on the rare occasions that it does happen, it's mostly a case of bad luck rather than a personal attack. Anyway, while we were looking fruitlessly for our guest book, we did find something else delightful. A Christmas card from the three brothers who curate the Foxall Street Library. After a disappointing welcome home, it was absolutely delightful to see such a nice gesture. I wrote them a letter back with some of our special bookmarks and left it in their very own fine street library, which has a blackboard paint front. I'm not explaining this very well, but they've painted the front of their street library with blackboard paint so that you can draw on it with chalk. Anyway, it's just, it's such a sweet street library. So all in all, a bit of a roller coaster return to our street library, but heartening to see that for every unkind person, there's a few kind ones in return. So last episode, we chatted to our friend Sally from Asia Bookroom, a Canberra bookshop that specializes in books on the Asia Pacific region, about their annual Christmas tree campaign to raise money to pay the wages of a primary school teacher in Nepal. So they needed $5,130 to pay Lamy Sherpa's wages for 2018. And when I touched base with Sally after Christmas, she was thrilled to tell me that last Christmas they raised the highest amount yet since starting the fundraiser, a whopping $5,894.77, a fantastic result that will more than cover Lamy Sherpa's wages. I'll update again soon when we have more information about what the classroom in the clouds is going to be doing with the extra money, but I'm sure it's going to be something incredible. Another fundraiser I highlighted last month had an epic result as well. Fantasy author Pat Rothfuss's charity World Builders ran their annual fundraiser and raised $1,225,357, and every $10 donated gave contributors a ticket into their lottery to win all kinds of things, but mostly books, which are donated by authors and organizations. And in fact, last year I won a set of fantasy books, and it's a bit soon to find out if I'm a winner again this year, but I'll keep you posted if I am. Also, if you donated and won something, get in touch because I'd love to hear about it. So one thing I do want to talk about, though, is Australia's chief scientist, Dr. Alan Finkel's Storytime Pledge. Dr. Finkel is encouraging Aussies to pick up a book and read it to a child in their lives, and the initiative is being supported by the Australian Library and Information Association. So I would like to take this opportunity to make the pledge to read a book to my niece, who is one year and now about 10 months old. I got her a gorgeous book for Yellow Bocca Flood, so I'll be reading that to her when I see her next. And you can find out more about how to make the story time pledge in the show notes. And if you make one, let me know and I'll share it for you on social media. All right, book news. Let's go. So the shortlist for Australia's richest single literary prize, the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards, has been released. There are five categories, fiction, nonfiction, drama, poetry, and young adult, worth $25,000 each. And then the overall literary award, which is worth a huge $100,000. And you can check out the full shortlist in the show notes. And the winners are going to be awarded on the 1st of February, 2018. 
the 2017 Goodreads Choice Awards were announced and there are like a million categories, so I will not go through them all, but the best fiction novel was Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng and you can see the rest in the links. The long list for the 2018 Indie Book Awards has also been announced, which are the awards chosen by independent Australian booksellers. And I will not even attempt to go through all the nominees and categories here, but if you want to check out the Tinted Edges Facebook page, one of my followers, who is himself in the Canberra book industry, has gone through and given his predictions for the winners. So I will be very keen to see how accurate he ends up being. However, the best and most hilarious award is the Bad Sex Award. The annual award is handed out by a mag magazine called The Literary Review, and I'm going to read out the winning passage as well as The Literary Review's comments. So if you don't want to hear me reading out a really terrible sex scene, please turn the volume down or skip ahead because it is probably not safe for either work or children. So the winner of the award was an American author called Christopher Bolin for a sex scene from his book, The Destroyers, and it goes like this. She covers her breasts with her swimsuit. The rest of her remains so delectably exposed. The skin along her arms and shoulders are different shades of tan like water stains in a bathtub. Her face and vagina are competing for my attention, so I glance down at the billiard rack of my penis and testicles. I couldn't even read that with a straight face. So if you think that was great, wait for the comments from the literary review judges. I'll see if I can read this without laughing. The judges felt that there are parts in the book where Bolin goes overboard in his attempts to describe the familiar in new terms, leading occasionally to confusion. In the line quoted, they were left unsure as to how many testicles the character in question has. Whew, scathing. Alright, safe for work again guys, you can turn the volume back up. There was some very exciting rare book news the past month, with a copy of The Origin of Species, annotated by Charles Darwin himself, being put to auction. The book was sold for £788,000, and the original sheets had been sent to an H.G. Bronn to be translated into German in 1861, and they were later bound and sent to Darwin's correspondent, a paleontologist called, now just bear with me, I think it's Melchior Neumeyer. Neumeyer's descendants decided to sell the book this year, and it nearly tripled the price received for an unannotated copy of The Origin of Species that sold for £269,000 back in July last year. So I have a lot. I've got a lot of news about new and upcoming book releases. Um, the newest installment of Brian K. Vaughan and Fiona Staples' graphic novel Saga is out. I think we're up to volume eight now. I'm loving the rainbow zebra on the front cover. Nobody can criticize the animal psychics in Saga. I love them every time. Um, but I have to say, I have been a little underwhelmed with the last couple of volumes. I did just buy myself a copy of this one though, so we'll see how it goes. The cover for Tim Winton's new book, The Shepherd's Hut, has been released, with what looks like a yellow speedboat carving a wake through the otherwise minimalist red cover. The blurb for this one is really sparse, about a young man called Jaxi who runs away from his abusive home, so I guess we'll have to wait for the 12th of March 2018 release date to find out more. Kate Atkinson has announced a new novel called Transcription, and this one will be out in September 2018. The novel is about a woman who works for the Secret Service during World War II, and then, once the war is over, works for the BBC where her life starts to unravel. 
And then the Sydney Morning Herald did us all a great favor and put together a massive list of, of books that are going to be released this year. There will be new books out by Aussie authors Tom Keneally, Nikki Jamel, Leanne Moriarty, Rosalie Hamm. I've already got my hands on a few exciting looking advanced reading copies, including a book called The Lucky Galah, which I'll be reviewing soon, and another called The Water Will Come. So 2018 is going to be a massive year for books. However, there is one series that was released recently that I want to talk about, and those are the green books. The Green Books were a series of travel guides written by an, Amer an African-American postal worker called Victor Hugo Green that listed shops, um, hotels, and restaurants that would serve African-American people during the segregation era of the USA. The first guide, the Negro Motorist Green Book, was published in 1936, with several other editions being published in subsequent decades. Um, a publisher called Nat Gertler has recently republished editions from 1940, 1947, 1954, and 1963 of the Green Books, and he has sold over 10,000 copies in the last year. In adaptation news, the trailer has been released for the film adaptation of Tim Winton's novel Breath. I haven't read the book yet, but the film looks really good. The movie is due for release in Australia on the 3rd of May 2018, so plenty of time for me to get up to speed and read the book first. Another big announcement was that Jennifer Lawrence, known from films like The Hunger Games, Winter's Bone, The Silver Linings Playbook, has been cast to play the lead role in Burial Rites, an adaptation of the novel by Australian author Hannah Kent. Now, I'm actually surprised that this was news in December because I had actually read Jennifer Lawrence was going to be involved in this film quite a while back in October 2016. Either way, I recently finished the book myself, so I'm very keen to see how the film adaptation turns out. There has also been a mini-series adaptation of the classic novel Little Women by Louise May Alcott, which is currently available to watch on Stan. It's a three-part series that premiered on the 27th of December, and while I don't have Stan, I might need to wangle myself some access. Now, this isn't strictly a film adaptation, but I have to talk about this film coming out called The Public. Trailers for the movie, written and directed by and starring Emilio Estevez, known from The Breakfast Club, were released in December and it's about a group of homeless people who refuse to leave the public library at closing time during a brutal winter in Ohio, America. The film also stars Alec Baldwin. It looks incredible, but I, unfortunately I don't have a release date in Australia for it yet. It is hitting cinemas in America this month, so hopefully not too long before it comes to Australia. Now, of course there's Harry Potter news, so let's get stuck into it. First of all, it looks like the new Warner Brothers Portkey Games label is making a second Harry Potter game. Where the first is going to be an augmented reality game called Harry Potter Wizards Unite in the style of Pokemon Go, this one is going to be called Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery and will allow players to create their own characters and have their very own Hogwarts experience. The internet has been all a Twitter after a website called Botnik Studios released their own chapter of a book that they have called Harry Potter and the Portrait of What Looked Like a Large Pile of Ash. Created by feeding all seven Harry Potter books into a text-predicting keyboard, they have followed all of the keyboard suggestions, and the result is one part hilarious, one part eerily familiar, and the rest utterly ridiculous. You can read the whole chapter The Handsome One yourself, but I'll just read a little bit of the first part so you can get a bit of a taste of it. The castle grounds snarled with a wave of magically magnified wind. The sky outside was a great black ceiling, which was full of blood. 
the only sounds drifting from Hagrid's hut were the disdainful shrieks of his own furniture. Magic. It was something that Harry Potter thought was very good. Leathery sheets of rain lashed at Harry's ghost as he walked across the grounds towards the castle. Ron was standing there and doing a kind of frenzied tap dance. He saw Harry and immediately began to eat Hermione's family. Ron's Ron shirt was just as bad as Ron himself. If you two can't clump happily, I'm going to get aggressive, confessed the reasonable Hermione. <laughs> yeah, it just is, it is really, really weird, this whole thing. Um, so in other wacky Harry Potter content, ABC News has released a spoof video called Harry Potter and the Creaky Cabinet. It's basically a collection of images from the Harry Potter film series with the faces of Australian politicians superimposed on top of it. So if you get a kick out of Aussie politics, give it a whirl. However, it hasn't all been fun and games for the J.K. Rowling empire. Rowling has finally released a statement on her website about the choice to keep actor Johnny Depp in the role of Galert Grindelwald in the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them film series, including the film coming out later this year called The Crimes of Grindelwald. The casting choice has been widely criticised after allegations were made by Depp's ex-wife Amber Heard that Depp had physically abused her during their relationship. A settlement was reached between Herb and Depp before the allegations were heard in court, and after the divorce was finalised, they released a joint statement that basically said that while the allegations were not false, there hadn't been any intent to cause physical or emotional harm. After reading Rowling's statement, Herb reissued that joint statement again and said that some of what Rowling had said had been taken out of context. So, I have complicated feelings about this one. On one hand, I do think that trial by internet circumvents proper justice and mobbing people based on accusations does not lead to just outcomes. Trial by media and public shaming are impossible to control and reputations can be permanently ruined. However, I completely agree that issues such as domestic violence are still not taken seriously by the justice system and the absence of due process and fair outcomes is what leads people to take matters into their own hands. Personally, however, I really would rather not see Depp in this role. Even though, even though there wasn't any trial that found Depp guilty of domestic violence, my reading of that joint statement is that it essentially is an admission of guilt couched with an I didn't mean it. Also, I can't stand Depp, and I just think that he plays the same wacky characters over and over again, and I cannot see how he's going to bring charm to the role when he plays Grindelwald substantively in the next film. And I also was a bit surprised that Rowling, who has been suggested to have experienced domestic violence herself in her first marriage, has taken this approach. Reading between the lines, it seems to me that perhaps the choice hasn't been entirely hers, and who knows what kind of legal advice the filmmakers have been given about Depp's contract. But going back to the trial by media point, Depp's reputation has hardly been damaged by this. He is worth squillions. And maybe this could have been a good opportunity to take a stand, and not unlike the Harvey Weinstein Me Too movement. Anyway, it looks like Depp is here to stay and I'm going to miss you, Colin Farrell. Now, we're getting to the meaty part of this podcast because there were quite a few other literary controversies during the month of December. An open letter has been shared online addressed to the publisher HarperCollins about their decision to publish a book called To Siri With Love by Judith Newman, which is about parenting an autistic child. The letter, written by book riot writer Susie Rodami, on behalf of the autism community, slams HarperCollins and outlines all the ways in which this book is harmful to public perceptions and understandings about people with autism. 
One of the biggest issues with the book is the mother's concerns about her son's ability to parent his own children one day. And bearing in mind, he is himself still a child. And it also talks about her desire to look into getting court approval to have him sterilized. There are some screenshots floating around in, on Twitter about the passages in question, and they are actually horrifying. Someone needs to buy this woman a copy of Graham Simpson's The Rosie Project or something. Anyway, Newman has responded to the criticism and calls for a boycott of her book by the autism community um, by stating that the book wasn't written for them, it was written for people who know people with autism. To me, that sounds like a massive cop-out, and um, I'm going to boycott this book as well, because it sounds unbelievably embarrassing for her poor son, insensitive to people with autism, and incredibly disturbing given her thoughts on sterilization. However, that wasn't the only book controversy going on. There was actually quite a bit of heated discussion on the Tinted Edge's Facebook page in December. ABC News published an article about a mother from Melbourne called Helen Corney, who has spoken out about her daughter's Year 11 reading list, which she considers to be too dark and depressing. One commenter said, yes, there is some great literature that is very confronting, but also great liter literature that is clever, witty, and uplifting. While another said, well, by all means, let's toss out Eli Weisel's Night and bring in some romance novels and Disney films. Great literature is often about people in crisis, which is what creates conflict that drives the narrative. Without the crisis, you have a mighty boring work of fiction. Maybe it is about balance, and I'd love to know what you thought about the books you got to read in high school. So another story that had the internet divided was a little short story that you may have heard of called Cat Person, a brutally unflinching story about the awkwardness of dating. People have praised it for its candidness and slammed it alike, largely along gendered lines. You can read the full story online via The New Yorker and even a tongue-in-cheek response published from the perspective of a man. Do you love it? Do you hate it? Let me know why. So in a much cuter and truer cat story, a library in Minnesota, USA has made a cat called Max famous after they put up a sign that reads as follows. Please do not let in the cat. His name is Max. Max is nice. His owner does not want Max in the library. We do not want Max in the library. Max wants to be in the library. Please do not let Max in the library. The cat in question is a beautiful ginger who has now been banished from the McAllister College Library and is now internet famous. People have started writing children's books and making Max library cards, and you can read the full backstory of Max and how he got to liking libraries so much in the show notes. Finally, I've saved the cutest story of all. The University of Iowa in America have been donated 4,000 tiny books from a private collection, and now they must catalog them. Some of these books are so small, you can only read the text with a microscope. I cannot believe how steady some people's hands are to write so tiny. This is an absolutely gorgeous story and you can watch the video yourself and marvel at the beautiful collection and the care and love that must have gone into making these itsy bitsy books. The end of December and the start of January are both exciting times for reading fanatics like myself. It's a great opportunity to reflect on all the books you read the previous year and to set your reading targets and goals for the year to come. There are lots of different ways to keep track of what you're reading, and today my hot friend Annie is joining us to talk about book lists and our own master book list that is now commencing its fourth year. Okay, so I'm here with Annie, my BFF. Thanks for joining, Annie. You're welcome. Um, and today we're going to be talking about book lists and the ways in which we plan and record what we read. 
So over three years ago, Annie and I started up a thing that we like to call the Book Master List. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so the Book Master List is basically us recording every book that we've read for each year. Um, We have all sorts of columns in there and we've added many columns and we've added to the columns as we've gone along. Um, So last year... um, some of the columns that we have and the things that we record are so nationality of the author, the gender of the author, um, whether the book that we've read has queer content or whether it's got um, themes that deal with mental health or disability. Mm. Um, And we sort of added those as we've gone along. And part of it is us trying to promote um, diversity in our reading, because I think it might've been the first year even that Harry mentioned that, um, I don't think any of the books that you'd read the year before, very few of the books that you'd read before had been authored by anyone who wasn't just a white Australian or American or English author. Yeah, So that's the book list. And then the best part of the book list is at the end of the year where we get to make pie charts. (laughs) And here are some pie charts that I've prepared earlier. So for the listeners, I'll stick these in the show notes so you can have a look. like they're pretty janky because they're amazing so, <laughs> um so here's your one thank you there you go and here's my ones and so i've just set them out so we can see what our goals were for 2017 um what our total books were what our average ratings were and then all the different uh i guess diversity and statistics that we keep on what kind of books we read so what was your first goal, Annie? So my first goal was to only read new books. And how does your pie chart look? My pie chart looks like I've definitely reached that goal. It so it's what? a pleasing all blue circle <laughs> that you can see. Um, the best kind of pie the chart. The best kind of pie chart with only one category. So that was my goal. My other goal was um, reading 52 books and I met that goal in leaps and bounds because I read 62 and, and I think part of that was reading new books because it turns out it's more interesting than rereading old books that you've read before Surprise, <laughs> um, and then also reading books of more than 10% of the books that I'd read would be by an author who wasn't you know just white or, or was written or English speaking yeah. or was originally published in a language other than English yeah so and we can find out how we went. So my goals were to read 75 books, which I um, I beat that. I ended up reading 80 books. And oh. I know, I know. But if you look at my Goodreads list, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but if, we, if you look at my Goodreads list, it's actually only 78 because a couple of books I read are not on Goodreads. Oh, that's how indie that's I how am. That's how you are. I wow. read stuff that's not even like out there. <laughs> um, another one of my goals was to read more women than men. I wanted to read 25% books by um, people of a non-white or non-English speaking background. And um, I also wanted to read a book from every continent. And um, so I, we might go to the next thing, actually. So one thing that we've started keeping track of, because we rate all our books. I actually, I don't like to rate books on Goodreads because, I don't know. You can't really do half stars. Yeah, I, I get up, I, I get upset about not being able to do half stars. Yeah. And I always end up rounding up because I feel like it's cruel to round down. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I guess part of my problem as well is that I review a lot of books and I always try to, you know, a lot of self-published authors, like they put in a lot of work and I don't wanna I don't wanna crush their hopes and dreams by giving them like a horrific 
Goodreads rating, even if it's like completely deserved, because I can I can pull out positive things as well as the negative things, like in nice language. But mm. but like a you know a two point five, like you just can't explain like a two point five. No, but you'd have to round, you'd down, have to to round down to a two, and no. you're like, oh no. Um, and then so I also I've... find myself giving more five stars than really. They're not really five stars, <laughs> just but five stars to everyone. Five, everyone gets five stars on Goodreads, but yeah. not on our list. No, our no. list is cruel. <laughs> so cruel. So, what was your average rating? So my year? average rating was three point five, which I think is pretty similar to last year, actually. Yeah. So mine was three point six eight seven five. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, how actually what was what was I'm the just having a look now. Year? So last year going? mine was 3.6 and yours was 3.8. So we've been crueler this year. We have been crueler. And also I think you're a bit harsher than me. Well, so, I obviously am a bit harsher than you. Yeah. But, you know, obviously I don't like to pull punches as much as you. <laughs> I rate things on good reads. Yeah, I rate them hard. <laughs> Um, so, so I've actually got I did a graph as well for the proportion of books that were new and reread. And I had 98.8% new and I had 1.3% reread because I only read, reread one book. Well, I don't know if now's the time to talk about the fact that my pie chart is a lie. My <gasps> pie chart is a lie. <laughs> so my only reading new books was self-imposed. And I decided that if I didn't, you know, I don't record books that I don't finish. So therefore, if I reread a book that I'd read before, but I didn't finish it, it didn't count and wouldn't mess up my statistics. So how close to not finishing? So I left the last chapter. Oh, so pretty close. (laughs) So I listened to, this is on audiobooks. So I listened to 26 hours of one of my books and then left the last chapter. And then I also listened to almost all of the second book in the same series, which is also about 25 hours. Um, And then I finished it the day after New Year's. Yeah. The truth comes out. The truth out. comes out. <laughs> <laughs> the pie is a lie. Or like the cake is a lie. Um, alrighty. Well, uh, one of the other categories that we like to keep a list on, which I'm always thrilled to find out like what what came out on top on this, is um, breakdown by genre. So what was your biggest genre? Definitely fantasy. Yeah. So I read almost 30% fantasy yep. this year, and that was probably because I discovered the R Fantasy subreddit ah. and got very inspired and found a whole lot of books I hadn't heard of before. And um, I think that's mm. why. And because I was lurking around there, I was getting very into that genre. And because they've put out... Um... They put out lists as well. Oh, they do book bingo. They do lists. They do all kinds of things. And everyone's very friendly and enthused and you get very excited about wanting to read things. And there are lots of um, threads that I don't click on because I haven't finished a series. Oh, yeah. So I feel like I I need to read the series so I can engage in all of the... um... Yeah. Oh, that sounds... So, yeah, that is... I mean, that is a big chunk of blue fantasy right there. What was your biggest... So my biggest was general fiction, which is kind of like a cop-out genre, really. But mm. I guess it's like stuff that is contemporary and, you know, about people. And there's no magic or spaceships or, you know. <laughs> so boring literature. Boring, boring <laughs> literature, basically. Um, and then my second biggest was historical fiction. Um, 
Because, and I think, I think because I've tried to read, like, a few award winners as well. Like, they mm. tend to be, like, general fiction, historical fiction. A My second of, biggest was historical fiction as well. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of Aussie authors really like to write historical fiction. Mm. Um, I was talking to some, this is, like, a complete and not a side note, but I was talking to someone today about um, Australian fantasy and, like, how difficult it is to write, I don't know, I guess Australian fantasy that sensitively deals with you know indigenous indigenous issues, issues mm-hmm. and and you know do you do you just completely 100 percent import english fantasy to a you know to australia or do you try to use indigenous yeah, concepts it's like it's difficult, difficult uh, yeah, yeah so i was thinking about that today anyway so not a lot of his australian fantasy on my list um what other big what other big chunks did you have um autobiography i have 12 percent which is a lot more than i normally read i got a bit into autobiographies this year yeah um and i read i read um, a couple actually from the same author so i had two autobiographies from someone who i'd never heard of before prior to this year yeah um but yeah yeah i actually had a lot of non-fiction this year um and i i realized probably around 12 months ago um, because last year when we were doing it one of my goals was to read more non-fiction and so I read a whole bunch more non-fiction but I found that my gender balance really like mm. suffered because I think a lot of the really popular non-fiction that gets published is published by men it's interesting yeah mm. so um so this year I made a bit more of an effort to read some non-fiction by women which I really like I actually really enjoyed and um yeah, when when we get to it later, one of my favorite books this year was a nonfiction book by a woman. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, gosh, I how many how many different genres do you reckon you read? Oh, look, like maybe some 10, 15? 15, Yeah, I reckon I, I've probably got maybe twenty. Like, there's so many different. Yours is mine. Your pie chart looks much more. It's well, like a it's, rainbow. It's, it's a well spread out pie chart. Yours is. Mine's just. I like reading fantasy, autobiographies, and historical fiction, and everything else has one book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. What have we got next? Oh, gender. Now, you might notice something exciting about these statistics, Annie. What percentage female books, uh, books written by female authors, did you read this year? Sixty-one point three. Same as Wait. me. How about that? <laughs> So, um, yeah, so I had my, my proportion of male was slightly less because I had, I had a book, I think, um, I think I did read a book that was was by stories, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a book of short stories and I think it included some gender diverse authors. Okay. Um, but very like only, obviously it was just one book. So, Mm. um, so I'm pretty pleased about that. I definitely nailed that goal. And how about your, um your uh books by diverse. yeah ethnically diverse books by people of color or people so from language other i than smashed my goal i um wanted to do more than 10 percent because i think last year i only had nine percent or eight something yeah terrible yeah because i hadn't set it as a goal um and i had 25 percent which is still oh, not amazing but it's it. much more it's double and a half than i had planned to read so yeah so i didn't quite well i don't know i i don't I, I I read seventeen point five percent books by um, authors of color. Uh, t- 
2.5% books by authors of colour that were also published in a language other than English and 1.3% by people are books published in a language other than English plus like various so I, I, I probably was maybe about 24% and my goal was 25% but oh, that's pretty close it was pretty close um the other statistic the other category I kept because I a lot of people this year sent me um holocaust mm -hmm. biographies um a lot of children whose parents or grandparents had been in world war ii of a jewish background who had then moved to other countries like england or, or the usa and stuff sent me books and and in yeah i mean there's there's different schools of thought about whether or not people of jewish heritage are considered people of color and mm. i think so i i wanted to keep that as a um as a as a category because obviously those stories about are about being discriminated against because of your heritage mm -hmm. so um so if you include that then i did meet my goal and if you don't include that then i didn't meet my goal okay all yeah. right well i think that's pretty close either way pretty close so how about queer content how did you go for queer content so i did pretty badly on my queer content rating this year compared to last year um 72 percent didn't have any content yeah and only 11 percent had it as a major theme so we split up these um, categories because often you'll have a queer character who is mentioned once or is a side character or you know it's not a major theme in the novel and we felt like that was skewing our statistics at the end of the year so we created a major theme yes or no um, and I really just didn't read a lot of queer focused literature this year. Yeah um, so I I had 65% no, 22.5% yes and 11.3% major theme and then I, the same <laughs> yeah so and then I had a cop out of maybe because sometimes authors like allude and you're not it's it's hard to it's hard to tell sometimes whether they're just you know what what the author's intentions were but yeah it, I mean and when we talk about our next character I, it's it's quite surprising actually just how absent queer characters are from so many books and it's not like I'm only reading you know classics published in the 1700s like I, you know my biggest category was general fiction so stuff that was probably published in the last like 30 years yeah it is interesting or perhaps it's representative because and i'm making the statistic up but no i'm not going to say that i feel like i've read somewhere that about 10 percent of the population identifies as queer mm. or words to that effect so if it was 10 percent, it would actually be perfectly representative yeah i mean that's a really that's a really interesting but that is on the that's on the proviso that i'm correct about that statistic but if it is that well, the statistic is or correct the, or the statistic is correct not identify exactly yeah. exactly but if it wasn't i mean obviously um we've included a high you know i wouldn't say that anyway but that's an interesting comment the thing that i think is really interesting about this is when we so with the next category which is disability or mental health when we started this i really thought that we would find that they were completely absent from the, the books that we were reading yeah that... and i was expecting to have a really low score and that we were going to sort of realize that you know it was even less than the queer content category um and straight and without trying it wasn't a goal without even trying um mine was over um, it was 55% present in the books that I, were, I was reading. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. That that and mine was, was 56. Yeah, that, and that it, was a theme that obviously a lot of authors engage with. And previously, remember when we were talking about it, we said, I can't think of the last book I read that had, you know, dealt with mental health as a major theme or disability as a major theme. Um, turns out there's quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. But I think it was quite, 
you know, I mean, yeah, you're right. Considering we weren't even, I was more just doing this just to see how present it was, not actively seeking mm. out books that dealt with these themes. And it just, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty overwhelming. And I was surprised. I think a l- there were a lot of books that ha- dealt with mental health. You know, especially yes. in sort of contemporary fiction, you know, a lot of characters are dealing with things like anxiety or depression or suicide and that kind of thing. But I was quite surprised at how many books were dealing with physical disabilities yes. as well. Um, and how many, you know, I read this book very recently that got sent to me to review. And it was written by quite an elderly man who lives in, you know, the West Midlands in the middle of the UK. And he had two characters in his book that were in wheelchairs, mm. like completely separate to one another and who both brought like a huge amount to the book in their own right, you know, and both had different skills that they were able to use to help because it was a thriller to help kind of solve the crime and assist the people. And I just, I was like really quite surprised. Yes. But obviously, yeah, much more, much Diverse more prevalent than we thought, than we thought yeah. which is great. Um, so... Have we got our last category? Last category. Last category. Best books. Oh, yes. <laughs> so last category is the nationality of the author. So my goal um, was to read a book from every continent, and I got everywhere except South America, I think. Oh, that's pretty close. Yeah. Um, what was your biggest category? American. Yeah, me too. Yeah, 35% American, 17 Australian, 12 English. So they were my biggest three yeah. Every year, every year that we've done this. So my biggest was American, forty-five percent, mm-hmm. and part of, I like, I know why mine was so big this year because <laughs> I went to America and I did my five weeks of American literature and I just churned through. Mm-hmm. I just churned through American books. Um, my next biggest category was Australian, which was eighteen point eight percent, and then I had British, which was I can't read it, the writing's too small, fifteen percent on the dot, and then. Um, well, you, you look like you actually read quite a few other countries, though. I did. Well, mine was more spread out than yours. Yeah. Yeah, so I had um, some Zimbabwean, New Zealand, a lot of French books I read this year. Yeah. Um, Palestinian. Um, I had Japanese, um, Italian, Indian, Ghanaian, a book from the Ivory Coast, um, a book from Afghanistan, a book from Iceland, oh, New yeah. Zealand, Sri Lanka... Zimbabwe and various. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think was your best book of 2017? Out of doubt, Lonesome Dove. Tell us about Lonesome oh, Dove. I just can't. I, just, I don't know that I can. The words Lonesome, don't exist. The words don't exist. Lonesome Dove is the best book ever published, and I feel confident in saying that it's an objective, <laughs> objective fact. And what genre of book is this? So it's a Western. Now, this is not coming from someone who loves Western novels. I'd actually never read a Western novel before I read Lonesome Dove, so it's yep. not as if this is, you know, a bit of a weird thing that I have. I decided to read it because I'd never read a Western before and I did some research to try and find out if you're going to read a Western, what's the Western to read? Um, and overwhelmingly the response was Lonesome Dove. And now that I've read it, I can see why. Um, <laughs> if you are looking for a book that's going to blow your mind and make you feel every emotion that you could possibly feel reading a book, 
you should read Lonesome Dove. Mm. And Harry is going to read Lonesome Dove in 2018. I will will read Lonesome Dove. I will review Lonesome Dove. We will watch the film of Lonesome Dove and we will cook. If you don't like Lonesome Dove, we might not be friends anymore. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. No pressure. (laughs) No pressure at all. Yeah, good thing you're going overseas. That's true. And I'll be like, yeah, I read it. I loved it. It was great. It's fine. (laughs) What about you, Harry? Ah, so I, I probably had... I think I had three top books. Did you have any other top ones or do you think that was just the standout? Like, that was just the standout without a doubt. Beat the others. It beat the others. So if I could have given it 10 stars, I would. Yeah. Um, a more typical, I guess, five star, you know, averagely brilliant book would be The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, um, yeah. So you read that for the I first time this year. I read that for the first time this year. And I know it's a bit of a trendy book to read at the moment because yep. of the um, TV series. But it it is an incredible book. Yeah. Um, it's worth all the praise that it gets and it's so snappy as well like i mean margaret atwood some of her books i'm just so in love with and some of her books i'm like eh. but this one just is like it's not it's very it's a long, quick read i think i read it in two days yeah, yeah yeah brilliant well i think um i think my hands down best book of this year would have to be the sellout by paul Beatty, which was um it won the man Booker prize it's 2018 now so it won it in 2016 and it it was the first year that American books were allowed to be entered into the Man Booker Prize, which traditionally has been for um, English-speaking British colony-type countries. And um, so, and the first year Amer- an American author was allowed in, an American author won, and he's an African-American author. And the book is just like, it is just the most outrageous book you have ever read. And like, I, I, I don't want to give too much away about it, but basically the premise is like the book starts out, this guy is in, you know, the Supreme Court of the United States. He's being dragged into court by, you know, a security guard who's just given him, you know, a, a joint to smoke to help calm him down. And he gets into the court and the judge starts screaming at him because this African-American guy who's the main character um, is being um, he's being tried for slavery. And oh. it's like 2015. Oh. And it's like, it's just, and, they'll, it's like, and, the, and it's an African-American judge who's like, and, and then it goes sort of the lead up to how you got to the court case of this guy being tried for slavery. But it's absolutely blistering satire. Like it... It, it, it would be, I would consider it to be like really, really funny if it wasn't so sharply cutting. Like it's just like, it just really is unbelievable, unbelievable book. And it's written brilliantly and it's like just the, mo- the most outrageous and original thing I've read in ages. Sounds amazing. Um, another really good book that I read was called Do Not Say We Have Nothing by Madeline Tian, who is a Canadian Chinese author. Um, and... I've, I like to read quite a lot of Chinese literature because part of it is because I'm part of this Asia Book Room book club and they read a lot of books by Chinese authors and part of it is because um, a lot of them win lots of awards because they, they just have a really strong literary culture over there but this one I think is the best one I've read so okay. far. It was just really beautifully written. Basically every contemporary Chinese book you read is to do with the cultural revolution in some way yes and this one is the first one that i have read that is like the next generation pointing the finger at 
their parents' generation who are part of the Red Guard and who let all the atrocities happen. And it's that sounds just incredible. I read so um, interesting. Wolf Totem this year, which yeah. is a recommendation from you, um, which is also about the Cultural Revolution, but obviously the, the first generation that was experiencing it yeah. as a young person. And that was an incredible book as well. That was a five-star book as well, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that one was just it's incredible. Just, oh, it's such yeah. an incredible and I and I think I liked this one better than I liked that one. Oh really? Yeah, like I have to borrow it. Um, yeah, yeah, you should. It was just fantastic. And then I guess the other the other five star. I think I only gave three five stars this this year. And the other five star I gave to um, oh, to Lee Sales, um, who wrote this tiny little book about eight years ago as part of this little series of essays. And it's tiny, and it cost me ten dollars, and. Um, Lee Sales and Annabelle Crabb have a podcast and I went to go see them in Sydney and so I bought her book and she signed it for me. And it's called On Doubt and it's basically about, um, I guess, a, it, in a general sense, it's about ethical journalism and ethical politics and telling the truth when you're in the public, in, under the public eye. But in a more specific sense, it's about how... You know, and it's funny because she wrote like this little afterword for the 2017 republication of it and had all of this extra stuff to say about, you know, Trump and fake news and stuff like that. And this book that she'd written eight years ago is like 10,000 times more relevant today. Like everything she said that was bad then is like exponentially worse now. And it was just, it's like a super quick read and it was just really like, really eye-opening about how important it is to not take things at face value and question things mm. and question the truth and be critical and be critical in your thinking yeah so so yeah so that's best book now worst book so the worst book that i read this year is called 120 days of sodom um it's, it, it's not the type of book i would normally read why did you decide to read it? Because I wanted to read more Lote books, so languages yeah. other than English, and it was published in French. Yeah, okay. And I just picked it up, and um, it's from the Marquis de Sade, so it was written in 1700, so it's, you know, it's an old book, and I didn't read much about what it was about before I read it. Anyway, um, it was pretty atrocious. Yeah. The content of the book, if you were Googling the contents of this book, you'd have azio bashing down your door um, <laughs> so don't google so it don't google don't it. Read it don't read it i mean you know there's I, a reason there's the a... marquis de sade was locked in a tower for his entire life exactly um <laughs> and i think because i'd i'd seen what's that what's that movie with kate winslet and jeffrey rush yeah that's the one yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's about anyway and i'd seen that and i sort of said oh you know i get it'll be smutty that's fine i'm not a prude I think I am a prude, at least when it comes to the contents of that particular novel. Anyway, I finished it. Um, and this particular novel actually was written while he was in prison and was yeah. never finished. So it starts out um, written properly and he wrote it all in one draft. So it's actually kind of an incredible book when you think about how it was written and it was written without any revision because he had to smuggle out parts of the book as it was oh, being written. Oh, because they talk about that in the movie. And they do, yeah. they do. And so the first part of the book is written um, like a like a novel. There's surprisingly few errors in it. There's a lot of characters that he had to keep straight in terms of what was happening to them. Anyway, as the time goes on, he becomes 
I don't know if he was going more mad or he was running out of time or whatever the case may be, but it, it just the, the second half of the book is just his notes about what he intended to write the rest of the book to be. Mm. So it was kind of an interesting book to read, I suppose, but it was pretty repulsive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't read anything um, thematically quite so bad, but I think, like, I had two books this year that were, like, two stars or less, and I'm, I'm not going to mention their titles because they were re- books that were sent to me to review and they were appalling at me that was so bad just badly written oh well so one of them was unbelievably badly written it was like it was meant to be a mystery thriller type novel and it was like 800 pages long which is already too long. a red flag you know unless you it's lonesome dove which is the correct length of that book yeah but this one was just i mean and did you get through all eight hundred? I, I read the entire thing, and I shouldn't have. And it was it was in the dark old days of I'm like, oh, you know, I'll review all the books that get read to me and I, sent to me. And I was like, no, I cannot, in good conscience, review this book. And so, yeah, it just was like all of these like violent, brutal things happening from the perspective of this guy, and then somebody else going and talking about their perspective of the events. So not only was it like. And there were, like, huge continuity issues and just, you know, it really, like, was desperately in need of editing or just throwing away and starting, starting, starting again. again. Um, but the second book, I've, I, I actually had a real problem with this because this book got sent to me. Um, it had been published. Like, it had a publisher. It had a publicist and stuff like that. Um, and it was this... It was a story about... Um, I'll, yeah, I won't say the title, but it, it it basically was a story about the Kennedy family, and in particular, oh, yes. yeah, in particular, um, this daughter of the Kennedys, who her father basically sent. So this is JFK's little sister, um, who apparently was a bit of a handful and a bit promiscuous and stuff like that. And so her father sent her off to have a lobotomy, and her family just basically forgot about her for twenty years. So I mean, the premise was super interesting. And I was reading through the book, and I'm like, and you know, the author had kind of like a unique take on the story, um, based on research and family history and stuff like that. And um, I was reading through the book, and I was quite engaged, and I was reading stuff about lobotomies. And so I went onto Wikipedia and and searched lobotomy, and I was reading through the wiki page, and the author had basically copy pasted almost word for word what was in the Wikipedia page to the book with the same sentence structure but had just swapped out a couple of words for their synonyms and I just was appalled because <laughs> because I'm you know you're expecting people to pay money for a book that you've written why are people why should people pay money for something that they can look up on Wikipedia and if you're going to use Wikipedia like you should reference it and so I had a bit of argy-bargy with the publishers and I decided not to proceed with the review but but, I mean, I did later on go check the Wikipedia, um, you know, terms of use, common common usage um, provisions, and you do have to reference Wikipedia in publications if you're using it to be published for profit. And uh, anyway, so, yeah, I was just, I just felt like it was just such obvious plagiarism because it wasn't like it wasn't like they copy pasted it. I feel like you should have just sent them a copy of that. So you've been publicly shamed book. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah anyway so that was probably that was probably also one of my worst books so um before we go on to oh no no I'll, I'll go straight on to this so 2018 reading goals so I've got I've got written down for you you've got 60 books and five classics yes do you have any ideas about which classics you want to read yet no so the classics is a bit of a cop-out the reason I want to read more classics is well one I don't read a, a lot of classics and I did an English lit degree so I should be able to read classics do you think that's because of or in spite of oh I think maybe because of that said one of my favorite books is the last of the Mohicans which is yeah. a classic yeah and I remember reading it and thinking it was a rip-roaring rollicking read um so you know I can enjoy classics but that's partially because I'm going traveling for six months with a kindle and a lot of classics are free they are free <laughs> so I thought if I set myself a goal I'll feel extra pleased with myself when I read them on my kindle yep and if I get a bit bored I'll push through because it's for a good cause which is meeting my 2018 reading goal <laughs> <laughs> and so you've set um 60 books on your goodreads reading challenge as well yes so 2017 was the first year that Annie joined Goodreads yes how did you like it I loved it it's good isn't it yeah it's great I've got many books in my to read yep I collect them yep um no I enjoy it yeah one of the things I really like about the Goodreads um challenge is that when you add a book after you've read it, you can actually make sure that you've gone back and picked the correct edition. edition yes, so you can I have like all your that. beautiful books on your Goodreads account that actually match the exact books that you read. Yes. So I, I really enjoy that. So I've got, um, my goals are 80 books, which I meant this year. So I'm just going to, I might have that as my standard. Um, I'm going to go again for more women than men. 25% um, are authors of a diverse ethnic or linguistic background and I'm gonna try again to meet my book from every continent That's good. which brings me <laughs> to a surprise I have for you oh a surprise here you go oh yay <laughs> do you want to tell our listeners what it is so I haven't opened it yet but what I believe it is is a scratch map to show what so Harry and I had this idea a couple of years ago where we were going to stick up a map on the wall somewhere and we would try and read a book from every single country. So not every continent, but every country. And then it kind of got away from us in terms of actually getting a copy of this book. Sorry, a copy of the map. Of the map. Well, and I have to say, while you're opening it to have a look, um, I'll, just, I'll just talk you through the difficulty I had <laughs> in getting this. So... I've been I've been looking for these maps for the past couple of weeks and I could have bought them online but I didn't because of reasons. Anyway, so I I went to go try and buy them. You can buy them from Australian Geographic, but oh. every store in Canberra has been sold out. Oh. So I had what to What is everyone else doing with these? I don't maps? know. They reckon they were a really popular Christmas present. Anyway, so I picked and you'll see this when you open. I actually had to pick this up from someone yesterday. Um, from Gumtree. Oh. And they've already scratched off Australia. Oh. So this one well, is... Well, that's fine. I've read an Australian book. Well, so, so, we, so we all have. So, But I got a good deal, which you'll appreciate. <laughs> but in fact, so my partner um, is, while we are in the process of recording this podcast, he's gone off to go get me another scratch map oh, from somebody he? else. Oh. Of Gumtree. So we will each have one. That is amazing. I know. Oh, I know. Just, you're the best friend, Harry. Oh, thank you. you. So yeah, so and I was thinking, should we start scratching them from books that we read now or should we uh, backdate? No, I think backdating is cheating. Yeah, I agree. 
So we should start afresh. Start afresh. Fresh canvas, fresh scratch map. Um, and also, I was thinking, because you're going to go overseas, I'm happy to be the map curator until you're back. Okay. So they don't get yeah, it. Yeah, I'll leave it with you. Until Do you like back. it? I love it. Oh, you're the best. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Okay, and then I've got another thing that I've prepared. Look, all the things. Yeah, so the other big thing we're going to talk about um, is our big goal for this year, which is... Book bingo! Yay! <laughs> oh, this is the best part of this podcast. Do you like Presents. them? Yes. So we decided to do. Um, we've been we've been talking about this for a little while. I can't remember where we got the idea from, actually. Our fantasy. Oh right, yeah. thank you, our fantasy. So we came up with a list of um, twenty five books. So we've got five squares by five squares. And I've just, I'll put a photo in the show notes, but basically what I did was I cut out some cardboard. I made my own, I, I tried to find some free ones online, but they had all of this like, oh, it was just, no. So I ended up just making my own in Word and I just magically downloaded a um, bingo template in Word because <laughs> Word has all the templates. Um, so, I, so I've populated it with 25 different categories um, I won't read, I don't think we need to read them all out, but are, are there any of these that you're particularly excited about? Well, I'm ex- we picked things that um, we wouldn't normally have read, as well as other things that we might have read. So yeah. one thing that I have never read is a religious text. No, neither have I. And, and I have to say, I think that is probably the one I'm maybe like the most funny about yeah I'm like, well it's I'm on like, there which, so you like you which know one gonna, do i read well what do I you read know. book of mormon the bible yeah maybe the translated I translated quran yeah well, it's your oyster mm. anyway so I, I do feel and this is probably cheating i don't think you have to read the whole bible well and but when which, is the last time you read any religious texts at no, all no but like when I, I have I've never read sat down and read a religious text. No, neither have I. I've read tiny yeah. snippets of the Bible at school, but yeah. um, I've not sat down and read. You know, I, I feel like even if you read a chapter of the Bible, that I feel like you'd get your bingo square because this is all about reading things that we would never read otherwise. I know, but I'm I'm concerned because I like I have my I have this kind of personal rule that I always finish a book that I start. Well, enjoy so reading I can that do, whole... So I can do an honest review. I'm. I'm Are you going to find... review the Bible? You'll get hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The structure was poor. There were consistency problems. Seems to be something lost in translation. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll 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 think on that further. If my listeners have any views about whether or not I should review a religious text, please let me know before I actually do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think some of these I think are going to be actually like a little bit difficult to find. Villain protagonist. Like, that one I'm excited about, but, like... You could read Wicked. I've read Wicked before, but Wicked is good. Wicked, so I actually haven't read Wicked, oh, so I could read that. Um, rule with Book Bingo, no rereads. Yeah. This is a new, obviously, to rereads is not an issue for you, but I'm making that a rule yeah, for myself. Yeah, I think that's good. Now, I, I do have a very important question for you, which is, you know, completely aesthetic and not of any kind of value whatsoever. <laughs> but how do you want to mark them off? Oh, I don't know. Do we need some kind of sticker or do we need some kind of stamp? Uh, if we could get a stamp, that would be amazing. Maybe I we are going to need to write down what book you've got for each because otherwise we'll forget. Oh, that's a good point. 
See, in my original Well, we could have idea. a list next to it. Yeah. And you could just write it down on your list, but then we could have a stamp to actually stamp up. I like cards. the idea of it. Because I feel like writing the names on here, it's going to get messy. Yeah, I know. These are the important questions that we have to consider. <laughs> um, but definitely keep a list because otherwise you'll just forget. Yeah, no, I think, all right, well, I'll, I'll think about, maybe I could, maybe we could put the list on the back. Oh, yeah. That's a good um, idea. Because you could just print out like a, you know. Yeah, just print out another print page. Print out another page. Yeah, just do that. Yeah, I did, I did, when I was thinking about how I would make this, I had like this brilliant vision, which is like all of my visions, <laughs> far too difficult to execute, but like in my imagination was going to be amazing, where um, each bingo spot was actually like a flap that you could lift up and then have the name of the book or something underneath. Oh, or that does sound very hard. Yeah, yeah. it sounded too, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, be realistic, Harry, like you don't have that much time or like those kind of you know scissor and glue skills so <laughs> um no i'm excited canberra author yeah so i have um i actually have a few canberra books on my to read list this year but um you know because canberra has quite an intense literary scene and i just i don't think i, I, I don't wade into it no, no i don't wade into it at all Alrighty. well i think that i think we're at the end of great well, so, thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining. If you want to check out some other 2017 book lists, have a look in the show notes for some of the ones I've come across, including The Economist's 2017 Books of the Year, which includes The Hate Race by Maxine Beniba Clark, so big congrats to her, The Guardian's Best Books of 2017, and Barack Obama's Personal Top Reads of 2017, including The Power by Naomi Alderman, which I must read. I sadly didn't get along to too many book events during December, but I did manage to hit the ACT Writers' Centre Christmas Party where the 2017 ACT Writing and Publishing Awards were announced. The hall was packed out, there were snacks and drinks, and the winner for the 2017 Book of the Year was The Art of Time Travel by Tom Griffiths. I also managed to duck down to Muse Bookshop in Kingston, grab myself a glass of bubbly and some final books for Yola Bocca Flood. They had a 20% discount, so I got myself a little early present a beautiful book called The Grammar of Spice, which I cannot wait to sit down and go through properly. Now, there isn't much coming up in January in terms of book events while everybody settles back into work and school, but there is still some stuff to keep an eye out for. Libraries ACT has a pretty full schedule of kids' holiday events, and they are running a special talk with Canberra author and a Canberra academic about Frankenstein to celebrate 200 years of publication. And then on the 1st of February is going to be Harry Potter book night, so I'm going to maybe be planning something for that. We'll see how I go. Anyway, I had a very productive reading month in December, and I managed to cram in seven books to get my Goodreads 2017 reading challenge up to 78 books. However, as I said, chatting with Annie, my official count was actually 80 books because I did read a couple that were not listed on Goodreads. So I'm still a little bit behind in my reviews, and you're going to get a couple of previews of some that I'll be setting out later on in more detail on the Tinted Edges website. Anyway, there were some challenging books that I read in December. One that I was very surprised at was Beneath a Scarlet Sky by Mark Sullivan, a kinda but not really biography set in World War II in Italy. This novel was set at a rip-roaring pace and it stuck with me for ages after I read it. I read Philip Pullman's newest novel La Belle Sauvage, 
which is, I think, how you say it, which is the first in his new series set in the same world as his uh, the His Dark Materials series. I really liked a lot of this book, which is about a young, helpful boy whose family own an inn and who finds himself involved in much more intrigue than perhaps he is ready for. However, I did find the latter half of the book a little bit confronting and a little bit confusing. I finally got around to reading my first Murakami book, and this one was The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, a compelling novel about an understated young man who loses his cat, and then a whole lot more. There were lots of things I really liked about this book, but it did feel like some threads got dropped along the way and some characters got misplaced. I also read the new hit fantasy novel for kids Nevermore, The Trials of Morrigan Crow. It has been repeatedly touted as the next Harry Potter, and while I'm certain kids will love this book, which is about a cursed misfit girl who's whisked away to a magical land, I found it a little bit too similar to other books in the genre. The other big read was my first Helen Garner book, Joe Cinque's uh, Consolation. I had a lot of difficulty with this story, which was about how law student Ani Singh killed her boyfriend, Joe Cinque, and the ensuing trials, and I'm still not quite sure if it's because of the way Helen Garner wrote it, or if it was because of the subject matter. Alright readers, that's it from me. I'll be back in February with plenty more book content, so in the meantime, if you want to support this podcast and help to keep it on air, check out the Patreon page, follow the Tinted Edges Facebook page, or subscribe to the Tinted Edges website to keep up to date with book news and book reviews. Thanks so much for listening.